good. It's been such a great weekend uh, having Stephen Rosie Young back again with us. Such a good time um, at what I've been calling our Miracle Workers Weekends. Who's the Miracle Worker? We are. You are. Amen. Amen. Let's throw that one more time. So who's the Miracle Worker? We are. You are, right? Amen. And that's that stuff. And that's what we're here. And that's what we're learning. I shared just real quickly that a little bit yesterday uh, morning, just as a reminder, you know, that the reason why we're doing these uh, weekends and having these gatherings together is because we have such a marvelous opportunity in our current day to really go out into the world and just be miracle workers. Amen. Right. I mean, again, I, and I'm not making this at all political or about current events, but, you know, uh, I find it very uh, intriguing that the Lord puts this on our hearts in the middle of a global pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Right. What, what, what do you think? That's pretty, uh, pretty cool, huh? Yeah. What do you think he wants to do in the middle of a global pandemic? Heal people. Rather than Jesus' day, there was a similar pandemic that went on. Mm-hmm. It just happened to be called leprosy. Yeah. yeah. Right. Then yeah. in Jesus' day, there was a global pandemic, an epidemic, an outbreak of, of leprosy that went out. Right. And so Jesus in that time, again, he, he did he shy away from that. No. Right. Did, no, he, he went out and he healed his world in those times. Right. So that's why I'm excited about for each and every one of us, because we get to go out. Love for something uh, for those who weren't with us on Friday night that Brother Steve shared in his nine. What did you call it, the nine? Nine reasons why you can do the works of Jesus. Well, nine reasons why you can do the works of Jesus. And I loved it was number seven or eight. And go back and listen to it when I get the sermon up this week. It is number seven or eight was is because it's your destiny to be just like him. Yeah. That is your destiny, your divine purpose is to be like him in this life right and so that has just been resonating in me this whole weekend and so i'm excited for that so without further ado i'm gonna ask brother steve to come up and just share what god has put on his heart for us today hallelujah well it's good to be back here for another service Amen. we're excited and like i say the the most exciting testimonies are the ones we're going to hear about what you went out and did Amen. Because that's what we're here to do is train and equip you to go out and be like Jesus. Amen. For you to go out and do the works of Jesus. Amen. Well, today's gonna, I'm sure it's going to be interesting that we may take some different trails today, depending on the way the Holy Spirit moves. Um, but here's where we're going to start out, is understanding the way that God does miracles on the earth. Most people think that God just supernaturally from heaven, just pow, just does a miracle when he wants to do it. But you know, that's not how God operates. God operates, he cooperates with man. Very good. You know why he cooperates with man? Because Psalm 115 verse 16 says, The heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has he given to the children of men. God spoke to Adam and said, I give you dominion. And you know, Adam messed things up. But God didn't yank the dominion back. He didn't say, Adam, you really blew it, so I'm taking back this earth. The earth still belongs to man. Amen. So, so that's an answer. You're, you're going to hear when you witness to people out in the street. Some of them are going to say, if God's in control, why is everything such a mess? Maybe you've even wondered that. And the answer to that is God isn't in control of the earth. Man is. Very good. 
If God were in control, it would, you'd have a picture of heaven right on the earth. There'd be no sickness, no sin, no problems. You know, all, all the junk that's going on in this world would not be happening if it were all up to God. God has left this earth to man, and man runs the earth. Now, there are certain things in God's sovereignty that he's going to do. Jesus is going to come back, and he's not going to take a vote (laughs) to see if that's popular or not. Jesus is coming back. And the earth is going to be dissolved and melt. The elements will melt with fervent heat. He's not going to take a vote on that one either. There are some things he's declared in his word that are just going to happen. But as far as day-to-day life, he has left things up to man. And a lot of times people think, well, God has to control everything. But in fact, he's not controlling everything. A lot of what you see in your world is, and I I should get my asbestos suit out before I say this. (laughs) uh, A lot of what you see in your world today is based on your choices you made yesterday. Not necessarily God's choices. But your choices. Life's all about choices. You choose this day whom you will serve. You choose, are you going to serve the Lord, you and your household, or are you not? That's a choice you have to make. God told them, choose. Now, he told them what the right choice was. It was to serve him. But he said, you choose. He's not going to make anybody serve him. You don't have to serve God. Now, it costs not to serve God, and it pays to serve God. But he's not going to make you do anything any more than he made you come up here and receive the communion elements today. He's not going to just suddenly take control of you and make you do something. You have to choose to do something. You have to deliberately align your will up with his. And when you do that, that's when the results happen. Now, I imagine there might have been a few ruffled feathers when Pastor Brad got up and said, well, who's the miracle worker? said, we are, and, and, and practically every religious, you know, <laughs> whatever around here would say, no, 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 Jesus is the miracle worker. Jesus is the miracle worker. You can't say that we're the miracle workers. The thing is, Jesus today uses his church to do miracles. Yes. It is Jesus doing the miracles, but it's through us. And if we don't make ourselves available, he isn't going to just go do miracles apart from us. People say, yeah, well, God parted the Red Sea. That was something God did. But you know what? God didn't part the Red Sea until Moses stretched out his rod. Very good. He needed a man to initiate the miracle. When man was willing to flow with God, then God went ahead and parted the Red Sea. But it was in response to something that Moses had to do. Now, I know we pointed it out last time I was here, but just for some quick review on this, in Acts 28.8, it says that Publius, uh, the father of Publius, was sick with dysentery and a bloody flux, and Paul prayed and went in and healed him. And think, no, wait a minute, you mean, you mean he prayed for God to heal him? No, it doesn't say that he prayed for God to heal the man. It says he prayed and then he went in and healed him. Say, Paul healed him? Well, that's what it says in Acts 28.8. Now, granted, without Jesus, Paul couldn't have done that. But it says Paul healed him. So, in other words, Paul was the miracle worker in that case. Uh, In in Acts 6.8, Stephen went and he did great wonders and signs among the people. It says he did it. He did the signs and wonders. 
Now, obviously, he needed God to do it, but it said Stephen did them. And then instead of Acts 6.8, you could go to Acts 8.6, and it talks about the multitude in Samaria. They gave heed to what Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Do you see the pattern here? He's saying that man is doing the miracles. And that's why Pastor Brad can get up and say, who's the miracle worker? Well, we are, but we're doing them. Jesus is working through us. He doesn't do them apart from us. He does them through us. And that's why you can see in John 14, 12, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the works that I do, you shall do also and greater. He didn't say the works that I do, you'll pray for God to do them. He said, the works that I do, you will do. Amen. See, this is where most of the church world has gotten tripped up. They think if something's going to happen, we've got to beg God to do something. Yes. But instead, God's looking for us to do something. Man has these long meetings. Oh, we're praying for a move of God. We're praying for a move of God. And you know what heaven's saying? Heaven is saying, we're waiting for a move of man. <laughs> it's the truth. You look at the theme scripture for that would be Mark 16, verse 20. That's the way we want, last verse in the book of Mark, we want to see this happening everywhere. It says, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with the accompanying signs. Amen. And that word amen does not mean end of book. It means so be it. In other words, that is how it is to so be. We go out and the, we spread the word, and the Lord works with us, and he confirms his word with signs following. He doesn't do it independently of us. The signs don't follow something that's not moving. You know, if you know these cars out in the lot here, nothing is following your car right now. You know why? Because your car isn't moving. At least it better not be. I mean, I hope, hopefully this is a, not a high crime area like it might be in some inner cities. Uh, but I assume your car is not moving right now. Well, so nothing can follow your car because your car isn't moving. Well, you know what? If you're not moving, signs and wonders can't follow you either. You have to do something. You need to be actively involved in sharing the word with other people. And it's your choice to share the love of Jesus with others. And if you'll do that, God will work with you and confirm his word with the accompanying signs. There will be signs and wonders following you, you laying hands on sick people and you seeing sick people get well. Thank God. That's how it works. It's not all God. And I know people don't understand it because most of the time if someone is sick, what is the first thing that happens? Quick, call the prayer chain, call everybody you know, say, God, please heal this sick person. Lord, please do something. Lord, please heal him. Lord, please do something. And then they wonder why it doesn't work. You know why that doesn't work? Because God has already done something. He said, that's what we celebrated when we just had communion. Jesus' body was broken so that we could be completely whole in every area of our lives. Mentally, emotionally, physically. That's been paid for. We no longer have to say, God, please do something about it. Instead, we can say, Lord, thank you, you did something about it, and I just receive. You're not trying to receive something that doesn't exist, that God's got to go whip up. You're receiving something that already exists. 
Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It doesn't say they're things that don't exist yet. Do you see that? Faith is not the evidence of things that don't exist yet. Faith is the evidence of things that exist, but you don't see them. In other words, your healing, it would be an example of that. Your healing exists. Jesus paid for it. It is there for the taking, just as much as that bread was there for the taking this morning. It existed. We didn't have to whip up a fresh batch. You didn't have to say, oh, well, wait a minute, Pastor. Uh, in order to have communion, you've got to get put out some more bread. Well, why not? Because the bread was already put out. All you had to do was receive it. But it was there. It, so you, and you could come up. When you came up here, you believed you could have some of that bread because you believed it was here. It already existed. It was there for the taking. And that's the same way with your healing. It exists. It's there for the taking. And you can have it. God doesn't have to do anything new in order for you to get healed. Amen. Amen. Very good. That's right. that's so good. But that's what most people pray. Yeah. Lord, do something about it. And, and see, that... And then they wonder why he doesn't answer the prayer. Well, it doesn't line up with the Bible. Say, God, do something about it. Instead, we should be saying, Lord, thank you. You did something about it. And Lord, I'm here to receive my healing. Lord, I thank you. I am taking it now, just as you told me to do in Mark eleven twenty four. Whatever it is that I'm asking, believe that I take it as I pray and it'll be mine. See, faith is reaching out and taking something that already exists. Well, what if it doesn't exist? Well, then faith can't reach it. What if you say, well, I want 10,000 oil wells tomorrow. Well, if you don't have 10,000 oil wells laid up for you by the Lord and you don't have a promise for 10,000 oil wells by tomorrow, which you don't, then you can't believe that you receive that. You can't take that because that's not something he promised you. But if it's there, if the Bible tells you it's been provided like healing has been provided, peace has been provided, joy has been provided. If you are having problems with depression, God is offering you joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that joy is accessible. You can have it. And he wants you to have it. He doesn't have to whip up a fresh batch of joy for you. All you have to do is receive the joy that is already available to you. And it works the same with everything else. That's what faith does. Faith is being sure of something that you can't see, but it does exist. And then faith takes it when you pray. Amen. You know, one general rule of thumb, if you can't explain it to the kids in kids' church, it's probably too complicated. <laughs> I used to teach two and three-year-olds before I was preaching to adults. You know, if you can make it simple enough for the two- and three-year-old crowd to get it, you might have a chance at being able to explain it to older people. But it's good discipline. It gets you thinking, keep it simple. Because so often, man and religion complicate the simple and make it inaccessible to people. And they think, well, unless I go to Bible school for, and seminary and whatever, and, you know, I'll never get any of this. The truth is, you could be a little kid and receive from the Lord. And there are little kids who are receiving from the Lord. I know we knew a boy, he was three years old, and he was out laying hands on sick people, and they were getting well when that three-year-old boy laid hands on them in the name of Jesus. As I said earlier this weekend, there's no junior version of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
There's no Holy Spirit light. There's no Holy Spirit beta release 0.2. There's no trial version of the Holy Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit is the one who ministered through Jesus. And that is the same Spirit who ministers through you. If it were otherwise, you couldn't have any hope of doing the work of Jesus. Because Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit. See, we talked about that too. People are, well, he just did everything because he was God. No, he didn't. He didn't do any miracles the first 30 years of his life. And he was God the first 30 years of his life. But until the Holy Spirit came upon him, he didn't do any miracles. And without the Holy Spirit, you won't do any miracles either. But the good news is God has given the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what if I want to receive the Holy Spirit? What if I want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Should I beg God to baptize me with the Holy Spirit? Well, actually, the Holy Spirit has been given already. Uh, Paul, when he went in Acts 19, when he saw some disciples at Ephesus, he didn't say, did God give you the Holy Spirit? You know what he asked them? Have you received the Holy Spirit? He'd been given in Acts chapter 2. He's been given ever since. The question now is, on this side of Acts 2, not has God given you the Holy Spirit, is have you received the Holy Spirit because he's already been given 2,000 years ago. Just like the new birth, you can receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit simply for the asking. Lord, I want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Lord, your word says in all four Gospels that Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Ghost. So, Lord, I receive that right now. And it's that simple. You don't have to tarry at an altar for three years before you get baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's people who teach that. And we we were actually at a church. uh, We weren't speaking there. Uh, But they were teaching people that until you're holy enough, you can't receive the Holy Spirit. So first you have to be holy. Well, that's true in a sense, because you became holy when you got born again. You're part of a holy nation. Well, if you're part of a holy nation, what are you? Well, you're holy. That's why you don't have to sing, Lord, I want to be holy. You are holy already. Amen. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. He set you apart. You're sanctified. You're holy to the Lord because you're a born-again believer. Now, if you're not a born-again believer this morning, you can become holy to the Lord. You can have that status of holiness before him by calling on Jesus and asking Jesus to save you. Because anyone who calls on his name will be saved. If you ask Jesus to save you, we will. And the thing is, he can't possibly say no to you. You know why? Because he already shed his blood 2,000 years ago for you so that you could be saved. The price has already been paid for your full salvation. You do not have to bombard heaven's gates. You don't have to go knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door to try to get something from God. He's already provided everything you need and all you do is receive it. Well, what about everything else? What if I need a better job? Do you know every need you will ever have has been provided already by the Lord Jesus Christ? If you, if you need a better job, he'll provide you a better job. You can receive a better job the same way you'd receive a healing. Lord, I thank you for my better job in the name of Jesus. 
fact, we're believing with a guy from uh, Pakistan that I just happened to hook up with this week. He's one of these scam callers. And he called me up. Hello? You, you, know, you have this thing. You know, you know, th- this is Sarah from Discover Card. You, know, you have been, we are calling about the interest rate. Uh, you can receive 0% interest rate on your Discover Card. Press 1 to talk to an associate. So I pressed 1. And, and, <laughs> hello, this is Jerry. Oh, hello, Jerry. How are you? Well, I am good. How are you? Well, better than you are, actually. What do you mean? Is it because I'm not on my way to hell without Jesus for lying on the telephone? <laughs> and he said, but, 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 oh, but wait, I know Jesus. I know Jesus. I, he, he is my Lord. I said, well, why are you working for a company where you have to lie for a living then? And he stopped and he said, you know what? I must resign this job. Amen. I must go find something else to do. Amen. And so he says, can I call you back sometime when I'm not at work? I have your number. <laughs> I said, sure. So that afternoon I got a call. Hi, do you know who this is? I said, Jerry. He says, well, actually, my name is not Jerry. I have to say I am Jerry at the job, but my real name is Ambrose. <laughs> well, yeah, so, so anyway... He, um, anyway, I've, I've gotten to talk to him. And, well, not on the, um, he actually has called. He called while I was over at your house. And, and, and he's looking to get another job. And I'm agreeing with him Amen. for that better job where he doesn't have to lie. He said, well, he's trying to take care of his parents, trying to take care of his family. So he got this job, you know, so that he could have some money coming in. So we're agreeing for a better job. And he will get it because we agreed in the name of Jesus. It's not the will of God for someone to have a job where they got to lie all day. And they're not even allowed to say what their real name is. Aside from the fact they're not really from Discover Card. By the way, I've actually shared the full plan of salvation with quite a few of those teleliars. <laughs> no, it, it definitely gets their attention. You know, when I say, how, how are you today, sir? Better than you, because I'm not, not on my way to hell for lying on the telephone. Well, that does get their attention. And, I, I, and Jesus said the Holy Spirit would convict people of sin because they don't know him. And so I believe that as I'm speaking to them, the Holy Spirit will convict them and tell them, hey, you need Jesus. You need to get saved. And, and some of them, I've had five-minute conversations with them, explained the whole plan of salvation with them. Uh, many of them are Muslims. But now they're Muslims who know how to get saved. And I've talked about the Koran with them and everything. I've read the Koran. It's a horrible book. Uh, it's... Yeah, but I can tell you what's in it, and, and then, you know, we've talked about it. You know, it claims that Jesus did not really die on a cross, that that was an imposter who looked like him, so, but he didn't really die and rise from the dead. Well, so that leads to interesting discussions with them. Well, wait a minute, isn't Jesus one of your five prophets? Yes, yes, Esau is prophet, Esau is prophet, yeah. He said, well, well, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So if he said that, that must be the truth then. If he's a prophet, he speaks for God, right? Well, yes, he speaks for God. Well, then he must be the only way to God then. See, they never think about this stuff. Anyway, you can have some fun talking to these people after you press one. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes you're busy and you, don't, you, know, you probably don't want to get involved with that. But, you know, it can happen. And, you know, one, one thing for me is I, I see these teleliars are people that Jesus died for. 
And some that like turned out this guy was in Pakistan. Another one said he was from Vietnam. And some of those places, they pay a horrible price if they become Christians. In fact, they would kill me if I went to Pakistan and converted someone to Christianity. And then they'd kill the convert. You cannot convert a Muslim to Christianity in Pakistan. That's... But yet I can share the plan of salvation with someone in Pakistan on the phone. In Vietnam, you lose all your goods. The government confiscates everything if you become a Christian. And yet, there's people in Vietnam hearing the plan of salvation. So that's something you could do, you know, when you get, if you have, if you have the time and want to talk to them, you know, it's just throwing that out there. They come to you. Yes. <laughs> and sometimes they'll object, well, that is not the purpose of this call. And I'll say, well, it is now. Said, I, I, you called me. I didn't ask you to call me. But, but since you did, you know, your eternal destiny is more important than you know, this phony offer that you're offering me. So anyway, you can, you can take that and run with it and do whatever you want with that. But, but again, someone has to tell them the gospel. If all we do is pray for people in Pakistan to get saved, nothing will happen. Someone has to tell the Pakistanis how to get saved. God uses us. You know, so Paul said, how shall they hear without a preacher? Somebody's got to tell them. Amen. You know, even lost people in this area, someone's got to tell them. Do you realize if all we did is have a prayer meeting this morning, let's pray for the lost all morning, but then nobody goes and shares the gospel, they'll still be just as lost. And all that prayer will be for nothing if nobody goes and shares the gospel. Very good. See, why? Because God gave man the privilege of sharing the gospel. Angels aren't allowed to share the gospel. Now, they can point you to someone who is sharing the gospel, and that does happen. Sometimes an angel has actually told someone, go to thus and such a place and listen to what that man says. Here's what he looks like. But the angel himself will not share the gospel. They'll have to point you, point the person to someone who will share the gospel, which could be you. Yeah, that's right. And then it could be you with signs following. So if there's somebody and they're sick, you can offer to lay hands on them in the name of Jesus or even just speak to the disease in the name of Jesus. I tell people, you know, if you're in the grocery store and it's some lady and, and you, know, you don't necessarily want to just, you're the guy, you know, go lay hands on the lady in aisle three. And if hubby's over in aisle four and he comes over, he might want to end up laying hands on you. Right. <laughs> so you have to exercise some wisdom with that. I say, well, what if it's just me? And it's the lady in aisle three. You can speak to that sickness without even laying hands on her. And that's still all right. And that'll still work. You can command disease to leave someone in the name of Jesus, even if you don't touch them. And then sometimes you're better off doing that. Again, there is, there is a practical side to this kind of thing, too. Not getting decked by somebody's hubby in aisle three is a good thing. <laughs> But you can do it. You can do these things. The, the, the cry of the hour is not God send revival. And, and there's plenty of churches, they spend inordinate amounts of time saying, oh Lord, every week we're going to pray for revival, pray for revival, pray for revival, pray for revival, pray for revival. And, and then they wonder why they never see revival. But you know what the problem with that is? 
And I don't pray for revival personally. I hope that doesn't shock you. I go out and do revival. And God wants you to go do revival instead of praying for it. See, you could pray for revival for the next 10 years, but if you don't go out and do revival, there won't be any. Because it, just praying for revival without doing anything, it's making the same wrong assumption about how God works on the earth. You're assuming God do something, and now he does it all, and you don't do anything. And that's not how it works. You can't just fob it all off on God and expect God to do everything. He's not going to do everything. You're going to have to have a part in it. Now, you notice what they did. I can't find any scripture in the New Testament where they prayed for revival. Given that the word revival doesn't even appear in the New Testament, I guess that makes sense. There's an interesting thought for you. Now, given how much emphasis gets placed on that word, and yet it doesn't even appear in the New Testament. Now, here's what does appear, though. The closest you'd get is Acts 4, verses 29 to 31. And the disciples there, what they were praying for, really, was boldness. They're saying, Lord, grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching forth your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done by the name of your holy child, Jesus. And it said, and then they were all, the building shook, they were all filled with boldness, and they went out and spoke the word. But you notice something there, that even there, it does, they did not say, Jesus, do miracles. It does not say that. They did not say that miracles would be done by Jesus. It does not say that. But you know what it says? That, so, that signs and wonders would be done by the name of Jesus. There's a world of difference there. They were not asking Jesus to do the miracles. They were asking for boldness so they would go out and do the miracles in the name of Jesus. Jesus doesn't go around using his name. You use his name. If you don't, it won't get used. Jesus is seated with the right, at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and he is not currently using his name on the earth. Who uses his name? We do. Philippians 2, uh, 9 to 11, talks about that same kind of concept. It says how at, that every knee on, in heaven, earth, and under the earth should bow at the name of Jesus. And everyone thinks that means Jesus is going to make everyone bow before him. But that's not what it says. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. Who uses the name of Jesus? We do. That's right. the, the knees bow because believers take authority in the name of Jesus. For example, cancer, I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. Now, the nice thing is, when you use that name, Jesus will back his name. But unless you use his name, there's nothing for him to back. He doesn't move until we move. That's the, if you don't get anything else out of this this morning, he does not move until you move. He does not do something until you do something, and then he backs you. He'll back his name, he'll back his word ten times out of ten. But you've got to be willing to do something. So now, later on, we're actually going to have a, an altar call for boldness where people can come up and will believe for greater boldness because that's the cry of the hour is boldness. It's not that Jesus would do something new and more powerful. It's that we would have the boldness to go out and speak to people and let them know what he already did for us. So good. We need the boldness. 
See, you can, you, you, we already talked about you can't pray for more faith. Well, you can, but your prayer won't be answered. Because <laughs> that was tried. Again, Luke 17:5. the apostle said, increase our faith. Jesus didn't do it. Instead, in the next verse, verse 6, he says, he talks about what would happen if you just had a mustard seed sized faith and you used it. In other words, when they're saying, Lord, give us more faith, the answer was, no, use your faith that you already have. You don't need more of it. What you need to do is use what you've already got. You don't need to pray for more faith. And you don't need to pray for more of the Holy Spirit either because if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you have all of the Holy Spirit. He's a person. He's not divisible. You know, you can't come in here and greet half of Rosie this morning and a quarter of Pastor Brad. We're so glad that a quarter of Pastor Brad came this morning. It doesn't work that way. He's a person. You can't divide him down the middle or into quarters and, say, and then say, well, I want more of Pastor Brad, so I'll ask God to send another piece of him. Very good. That's good. It doesn't work that way with people. Well, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He doesn't come on the installment plan either. <laughs> but if you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, you get all of the person of the Holy Spirit. And you'll spend the rest of your life learning to work with him and cooperate with him. But you don't need more of the Holy Spirit. He may need you to yield more to him. That's really the issue. But you don't need more of the Spirit. Because yeah. people are, oh, I want more of God, more of God, more of God. Well, a actually, he wants more of you. Yeah. Very good. But if you'll yield to him... He, all the power you'll ever need is right there. When you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you do not need to beg God for more power. You don't have to have a prayer meeting. Say, Lord, send the old time power, the Pentecostal power, you know, all that stuff. Or, you know, well, well, because the, it's called the Pentecostal power for a reason, because it was on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. And that power has been available ever since then. God does not have to send the Pentecostal power. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Amen. So once you receive the Holy Spirit, you have received power. And you don't have to beg God for power. You don't even have to sing, anointing, fall on me. You know, the anointing's already on you if you're a believer. You don't need to wait for the anointing to fall on you. You need to go and minister and let that anointing that's already fallen on you get out. Amen. Really, it should be anointing fall on everyone else through me. <laughs> but do you see how that's a different mindset? Okay, now let's talk about something else just practical here as far as praying for boldness. Praying for boldness is not the same thing as praying to become an extrovert. Oh, thank you. Now, I know you probably, probably won't believe me, but I, I can do the computer nerd thing in spades. And see, sometimes people see you under the anointing and they think you're just like that all the time and, and whatever. But you know, I can be in my office, I've got a computer business, and I, I can be in that computer business and not talk to anybody all day and sit there and just write code all day and be perfectly happy. Now some people, that would drive them nuts. They say, no, I'm a people person. I've got to be around people all the time. I just can't, I couldn't be in an office sitting at a computer all day being a computer nerd. Well, I can I've never, I have so often, I have wished I could be Mr. Extrovert. 
and just go because I've seen other people like that and say, oh, I wish I were more like them. Because some people are just like, hey, you know, Jesus really loves you. He's got a wonderful plan for you. Wouldn't you like to know him? Hallelujah. And a lot of you, it's probably not you either. But the good news is, Jesus can use introverts. He can use you with your personality. You do not have to become Mr. Yada da 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 to share the gospel with somebody. He can use shy people. In fact, some people I have really respected in the ministry, in person, they are actually quite shy socially. And they're still wonderful people of God. But see, and many of them, they'd be just as happy sitting in a house by themselves too. Now, of course, you can't be just by yourself all the time and preach the gospel. That's right. So you, know, you kind of have to get out and, and be around people because it kind of goes with ministry is being around people. <laughs> and if you call to the ministry, God will give you a grace so that you can do that without you know, having a meltdown inside. saying, like, I'm so introverted, I just can't stand this. I can't be around people. But see, but again, but I can really be myself sitting at that computer typing code all day. I can be that type of person and God can still use me. That's right. Yes. And he does use me. Amen. Again, you don't even have to talk to those, you know, Vietnamese or Pakistani people. When you press one, you don't even have to be in their presence. You don't even have to meet them. There's all kinds of things you can do. But thank God... You do, your boldness is not the same thing as extroversion. That's right. You do not have to suddenly turn into a salesman type person where you try to sell Jesus to everybody. In fact, sometimes if you are that type of person, that could almost get in the way because you start depending on your sales skills instead of relying on the Holy Spirit. It's just like for me, you know, being an intellectual type, doing computer programs, it's very tempting to intellectualize the gospel. But, but the gospel doesn't work well intellectualized. Yeah. If the two and three year old crowd can't get it, it's probably not the gospel. So it, it's not something that you have to intellectualize. But I've got some good news for you. If you, if you don't feel like you are Mr. Sales Pizzazz, you can still go out there and share the gospel with people and God will use you with your personality the way you are. Even if you're not a big social animal, God can still use you to bless others. You do not need a personality transplant to share Jesus. But how many times does God try to hammer people? I mean, not God, how the devil will try to hammer people and say, well, you can't do that. You're not that type of person. You're just not the outgoing type. God can't use you. Well, sure he can. So what if you're not the outgoing type? Well, share him as an ingoing type. Do it anyway. You can. He'll give you the boldness to do that. But again, boldness is not the same as extroversion. You can be an introvert and still be bold. Yeah. And you know what will happen? The love of God will constrain you. Yeah, that's right. 
I used to go out on the street a lot. I handed out more tracts in two counties in Maine than the population of those two counties in Maine. And to this day, I find it uncomfortable to go out like that. Why? Because I'm not Mr. Razzle-Dazzle, hey, how you doing? Hey, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da. That's still not me. I've given out tens of thousands of tracts, and I'm still not Mr. Razzle-Dazzle, and it's still uncomfortable for me to do it. So why do I do it? Because it's the love of God constraining me. Back where I was up in Maine, there was 97% unsaved people, 3% Christians. And many of those 97% unsaved had never heard the plan of salvation. They were third generation heathens who'd never set foot in the door of a church. That's what it's come to in Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont. It's the, pretty much the same all over northern New England right now, where we were. So someone had to reach them with the gospel. And it was uncomfortable for me, but I said, either I can be uncomfortable a little bit temporarily, or they can be uncomfortable permanently. Very good. Very good. And I just said, you know, I, and it was the love of God that just said, I can't just let them go to hell and be uncomfortable forever. When I know what they need to hear. I've got the answer. I know Jesus. I can share Jesus with them so they don't have to go to hell forever. And it's not right for me to know it and not say anything. And here's all these people. Because in Maine, you go down the street, you just think, 97 out of every 100, they're on their way to hell right now. It was the love of God constraining me. I needed to be out there. I needed to be doing something. Not because I felt comfortable out there. Now, I had some really cool experiences with the Holy Spirit. Uh, where the Holy Spirit did some really neat things out on the street. But I had to be willing to be uncomfortable and do it. But God still used me anyway. And I wish I could tell you, oh, now I'm just so comfortable doing it. Now it's a piece of cake. Hey, let me show you how it's done, kiddos. We'll just go out on the street. We'll just win them all to Jesus. Uh, Don't I wish. (laughs) But you know, Paul said his strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, sometimes it's your weakness, but your weakness plus the Holy Ghost isn't weak anymore. And you start depending on the Spirit of God instead of trying to depend on your own personality and your own convincingness and your, let let me just, let me add them, I'll convince them. See, but Paul said that the gospel's not a matter of talk, but of power. It's not you being convincing. Paul even, did you realize that Paul was a crummy public speaker? The Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and a bunch of other New Testament books, Paul was not a good public speaker. They said his speech was beneath contempt. How do you like that for a review? <laughs> hey, I just went on to Google, got, and I got a review of this preacher. He gets two stars at most for personal appearance. His speech is beneath contempt. He's a crummy speaker. And yet, look what Paul did. He turned whole parts of that area of the world upside down with the gospel. Or really right side up. Even though he was not a good public speaker. God can use people who are not good public speakers. He used Paul. So if you are not a good public speaker or you tremble with the idea of getting out and speaking in front of people, join the club. Paul's the charter member. If Paul could do that, you can do it whether you think you're a good public speaker or not. 
See, it, it all comes down to the Holy Spirit working with you instead of you relying on your sales ability to close a sale. I know I, I took sales courses when I was at Michigan State. I majored in TV broadcasting, and we all had to take salesmanship class. And basically, salesmanship class consisted of, you know, you know, Dale Carnegie's, you know, book there, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it pretty much went like this. But, hey, you know, what are you interested in? Oh, you know what? I'm interested in that, too. Let's have a talk about what you're interested in. I mean, I mean you could do that. But, again, this is not salesmanship. This is being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's good to take an interest in other people. I'm not saying it's wrong to be interested in other people. But it's, this is not a sales job where you're trying to close a sale. This is you flowing with the Spirit of God, letting the Holy Spirit make you a blessing to other people. In other words, this is something you can do. And that's the whole point of these weekends we're having, is you can do this. You don't have to say, well, let, let, let him do it. He, he looks like he's probably, you know, the type who could really go out there and do it. But it's not about that. It's about you doing it. Yes. It's not, here I am, send Aaron, you know, like Moses. <laughs> mm-hmm. God can use you. And he wants to use you. Amen. And he wants to give you boldness to go out there and share his word with people. And if you ask him to give you boldness, he will give it to you. So let's uh, bring it to this. How many of you would like to have us agree for you for greater boldness?